0: in a world on the brink the difference between war and peace was one honest man so says the tagline for Steven Spielberg's Academy Award winning film Bridge of Spies The film stars Tom Hanks as high-powered attorney James Donovan and it is not only one of Hanks's best performances to date, it is also one of Spielberg's finest films, which is just another way of saying if you haven't seen this film yet, go see it. The story itself is based on an actual event, and it takes place at the height of the Cold War. In it, Hanks' Donovan character draws the unenviable assignment of representing Rudolf Abel, a Russian spy charged with espionage. And from the top, the film makes it very clear that Abel is guilty. That is never in question. Meanwhile, however, the film makes it equally clear that though Donovan has been retained against his will and desire to represent Abel, that there is nonetheless no expectation that he mount a successful defense. In other words, it's made clear that Donovan is merely being retained for matters of perception. Merely being retained to present the image of a just and a fair due process. Well, The core of the film is that they picked the wrong guy for that because while well, Donovan stands firmly on the side of the United States, and while he vehemently opposes everything that Abel and communist Russia stand for, he will not cut corners for the sake of appeasing the powerful, and he will not bend his principles just for the sake of people's prejudices, and so consequently he begins to receive death threats an editorialist begin taking him to task in major newspapers and he finds himself being blacklisted from his own law firm all for a case he never wanted to take on and all because he refused to cheat or be dishonest once that case had been thrust upon him. It's a wonderful movie and here's why I bring it up this morning. There's a scene about a quarter of the way through the film where Abel, played masterfully by British actor Mark Rylance, is sitting in an interrogation room and Hanks has just come in to give him some bad news. Well, by this point in the film, Abel's become aware of how much pressure Donovan is under to yield on his behalf. Not to mention, aware of how much Donovan is sacrificing in order to honestly and with integrity defend him, even though he knows that Donovan wants him held responsible for what he's done. In other words, by this point in the film, Donovan has earned Abel's deepest respect on account of his integrity. And so in this scene, Abel says this, and I quote He says, Standing there like that, you remind me of a man that used to come to our house when I was young. This man used to come to my house, and my father would say to me, Watch this man. And so I did. Every time he came, and never once did he do anything remarkable. But this one time, I was about the age of your son, our house was overrun by partisan bodyguards, dozens of them. My father was beaten, my mother was beaten, and this man, my father's friend, he was beaten. And I watched this man. Every time they hit him, he stood back up again. So they hit him harder still he got to his feet and i think because of this they stopped the beating they let him live stoic came you seek i remember them saying stoic cam, you seek which sort of means standing man standing man And then Abel looks to Donovan to ensure that Donovan does indeed understand what he's trying to communicate. That Donovan does indeed understand that Abel is calling him a standing man. And here's why I tell you any of that this morning. Because not only our scripture passage from the book of Daniel today, but in fact the entire book of Daniel is the story of a standing man. Now the particular story we're looking at this morning in the book of Daniel is of course the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. It's one of the most colorful and most Memorable stories in the entire Bible, one we do well to cherish and to look to for inspiration. But if we don't know who Daniel was, or when Daniel lived, or why Daniel was thrown into the lion's den in the first place, then, well, this colorful and memorable story won't mean a whole lot to us, or even if it does, it won't mean nearly the same thing to us as it did the ancient Israelites who preserved it. You see, we have a tendency to detach the book of Daniel from its historical context, to then extract from the book of Daniel this particular colorful story, and then, in so doing, to follow that by focusing exclusively on the saving act of God that preserved Daniel and when we do those things the moral in our minds of Daniel simply becomes if we remain faithful to God then God will spare us from the lions of our own lives as well and hear me say this is a perfectly viable and perfectly appropriate interpretation of this story. It absolutely is. But it's also about an inch deep because it doesn't even begin to touch on what it meant for Daniel to be faithful in his context, in his situation, in his circumstance. And so in order to touch on this, let's sketch out some context. The book of Daniel is set during the Babylonian exile, the identity-defining event for the Israelite community that we spent so much time talking about this spring. Moreover, not only did Daniel live during the Babylonian exile, he ultimately came to operate in an official capacity during it. We saw this as we read just moments ago, verses 1 through 23 of Daniel chapter 6. Here, nearly a half century into exile, that is, a half century of proving himself upright and true in character, despite his unwillingness to ever sacrifice his Israelite identity or to ever kowtow to the Babylonian or now Persian enterprise. Now on account of this, on account of his consistency of character, of his rectitude and his integrity, now Daniel finds himself assuming a level of authority in Persia against all odds and expectations. Not to mention finds himself a trusted counselor to King Darius himself. A stunning turn of events. And so good for Daniel, right? Well, other members of Darius' administration didn't see it that way. These were Persians themselves, suspicious of some foreigner with too much power. Suspicious of some foreigner who openly defied their Persian claims to sovereignty and who worshipped some other god and who operated by some altogether different religious ethic than they did. So these folks became quickly jealous of Daniel, resentful of his power and of his effect on the king. and So together they began to plot about how best to bring him down but no sooner have they begun their plotting than they realize they have a real problem on their hands. For Daniel is too upright and honest in his dealings with everyone for them to level any reasonable charge against him. He's just too good a person. And so therefore they reason they must instead use against him his religious commitment. And so to King Darius they go in hopes of playing upon his ego. Oh, King Darius, they say, (laughs) you are amazing, heroic, godlike. Man, my voice just got really high there. In fact, we should not just be serving you, Darius. We, We should be worshiping you, and come to think of it, Here's an idea. You ought to issue a decree that anyone who worships anyone but you should have to, I don't know, be thrown into a den of lions. Well, Darius, like so many others who hold positions of power, liked having his ego stroked and so the ploy works. And thus, no sooner has Darius issued his decree than the conspirators have taken to Daniel's house, where they find him, despite this new royal interdict, nonetheless still on his knees praying to his God, that is, not to Darius. And so, catching him in the act, they run right back to Darius, and they say, and I'm quoting here, did you not publish a decree that, anyone who prays to any god or man except for you would be thrown into the lion's den? To which Darius responds, and once more, I quote, the decree stands. It stands in accordance with Persian law, which cannot be repealed. Oh, man, they say, lowering the boom. I hate to tell you, but Your servant Daniel pays no attention to you or to the decree you've put in writing for he still prays three times a day to his God. To which, according to the text, the next line says, and I quote, When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. Not angry, not enraged, not vehement, not any other adjective one might logically assume to stand at the end of that sentence instead the text says when the king heard this he was greatly distressed why why distressed why not angry why distressed Well, the answer to that question is, in large measure, what the entire book of Daniel is about. And so let us look now at the rest of this story in order to see why. So now, in accordance with the decree, Darius has no choice but to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And so that is what he does. But that night, Darius cannot eat or sleep. So distressed is he about what might happen to Daniel. And so, lying in bed, he finds himself hopeful even that Daniel's God will somehow deliver Daniel from the lions. And we can't just drive right past how important this detail is. We can't just overlook how significant and shocking it is that King Darius, the Persian king, finds himself hopeful that Daniel, Daniel who Darius knows disagrees with his royal authority... Daniel, who is quite open about his faithfulness to his own Israelite identity, we can't just overlook how significant it is that King Darius finds himself hopeful that this same Daniel will nonetheless not be harmed by this act Darius' own hubris has caused. Does that make sense? Why? Why would Darius want this? Why would Darius want something that would so obviously diminish him in the eyes of his subjects? Well, listen now to the text. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the den of lions. When he came near, he cried out anxiously for Daniel. And Daniel then said to the king, here I am. And went on to say, my God, shut the lions' mouths to save me. Because I was found blameless before him and also before you. Because I was found blameless before him and also before you. Now there have been a million sermons and a million churches focusing on that first clause. Because I was found blameless before God. But what I want us to zero in on this morning is the phrase that follows it. And also before you. Because it is that also before you line that not only explains why Darius had been distressed rather than angry, but also is one of the primary reasons why the ancient Israelites preserved and valued the book of Daniel the way they did leads me to the leading Old Testament scholar John Collins, a professor at Yale, who writes that the book of Daniel, so much more than being a book of colorful tales and arcane prophecies, was in fact a book about how to be an exemplary Israelite, exemplary person that at a time when their nation had been upended by two different foreign aggressors and their identity therefore in flux, that Daniel came to represent for them what an exceptional Israelite should look like. Daniel, Collins writes, and I'm quoting, models a lifestyle for Jews in the exile. Daniel strikes a fine balance between integrity with his pagan rulers and fidelity to his God and his religious tradition. That is to say, Daniel showed the Israelites what, in a highly complicated and enormously complex situation, it meant to be a person of character. Or as Rudolf Abel might put it, Daniel showed the Israelites how to be a standing man. For not only did Daniel stand resolute in his deep religious convictions, he meanwhile drew from these religious convictions his inspiration for treating others with respect and dignity, and decency, and fairness. And so in that regard, we do well to look to the book of Daniel for our own inspiration all these thousands of years later. Because every single day, we as Christ followers have the decision to make as to whether we will be standing persons. That is, we who hold deep convictions about the world and about our own place in it and about who God is and about what our faith means. Every single day, we as Christ followers exercise the choice of whether to be like Daniel or whether to instead be like Daniel's accusers. For in an increasingly globalized world, a world increasingly marked by a plurality of people and a bevy of beliefs, in such a world we, like Daniel, day in and day out bump up against people whose beliefs and whose practices and whose deepest convictions are different from our own. And just as in the days of Daniel, so too today does this quite naturally lead to widespread feelings of tension and discomfort and misunderstanding and even resentment. And so in the face of this reality, we can respond in one of two ways. Either we can, like Daniel's accusers... Use our faithfulness to God and our own convictions as our pretext for being domineering and unloving and unfair and unjust and indecent to those unlike us. Or we can, like Daniel himself, use our faithfulness to God as our inspiration for being loving and merciful and kind and decent to others. All the while never sacrificing our core convictions. And the difference between those two things, between being like Daniel or being like Daniel's accusers, is all the difference in the world. In a world on the brink, The tagline for Bridgespies says, the difference between war and peace was one honest man. Well, In so many ways, that could just as easily be the tagline for the book of Daniel. And if we're being honest, that could just as easily be a tagline for our world today. For like in Daniel's day, so today, Tensions are high, passions are high, convictions are high and God's name is often invoked to justify all of them. And so in such a world, a world where suspicions abound and prejudices dominate and anxieties grow by the minute, a world where threats of war loom large and religious and cultural extremism seeks to separate everyone into groups of us versus them, in a world where waving the banner of one's faith is so often coupled with a zero-sum philosophy. In such a world, we as Christ followers, much like our forebear Daniel before us, find ourselves wrestling with how to balance our own core convictions with our command to love our neighbors and even our enemies as ourselves. And so in such a world as this, would that we as Christ fathers choose to be more like Daniel than like Daniel's accusers. Would that we as Christ fathers draw from our faith the capacity to be honest, and decent, and compassionate, and fair, and upright in our dealings with everyone. Would that we as Christ followers live in such a way that even those we disagree with, even those who represent ideas and ways of life entirely different than our own, would that we live in such a way that these might nonetheless find themselves distressed should injustice befall us as Darius did with Daniel. Would that our lives be that exemplary. Would that we be persons of that kind of character that we could elicit a response such as that. In short, would that we as Christ's followers live in such a way that we might be truly found blameless before God. And also before others too. Yes, in a lion's den such as the zero sum world we currently live in, would that we, as Christ followers, like Daniel, be persons with the character to stand. Amen.